0: Praise God! You guys, uh, this became a series I didn't expect to become a series, but I'm grateful that it is because the more I pray about, it, the more I feel it's the Lord's will that we, we talk about these issues in some depth. And uh, because we're getting ready to go into you know Jude and Second Peter and James, I want to go through both of those this year. We might end up going through Jude. Uh, I should say Jude, maybe Second Peter on uh, Wednesday nights. You know, after we finish Timothy. Uh, and then James on Sundays, you know, I'm still praying about that. Uh, excited about that. Oh, yeah. But we're also going through First Timothy, and I was picking it up a little bit, halfway through chapter 4, and we slowed down in verse 2 of First Timothy chapter 5. And this will be the third message. There'll be one more on that verse. It's not like we're just, you know, diving into that verse alone and just exegeting that thing to the nth degree. We're using it as a launching pad to get into the subject of of moral purity, especially as it relates to men and women, which is a context here. And this is needed in this day and age, amen? So 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as what? A father. To uh, to the younger men as what? Brothers. We're a family, amen? Verse 2, the older women as what? Treat them as your mothers. And younger women as what? Sisters. Sisters. In all what? In all purity. In all purity. Brother Mark was sharing with me after last message, last Sunday, uh, the word purity. A lot of times I'll look at the Greek translation or the Greek, you know, definitions, but he was showing me a couple English uh, definitions which are really cool, and, and you know, and that they were tied, like in Webster's and so forth, to be free of sexual sin or adultery, if I remember, right, Mark, something like that. And I was like, yeah, that has to do with how, especially the older dictionaries, right? Today, you probably won't see that in a very modern uh, translation of the word, or I should say uh, definition of the word purity. But that's in, that's actually how it's used at times in the New Testament, the word purity. And here, when he's talking about all purity, it's very clear the context has to do with uh, how you treat or how you treat the younger women in the church. You're supposed to treat them as though they're your very sisters, amen? And to have a sexual relationship with your sister would be repugnant. Even the world would view that as evil and disgusting and an abominable thing for the most part today, amen? I mean, if there's just barely, I mean, give it a few years, right? You know? But, uh, and he's saying, you know, hey, uh, even in the First Corinthians chapter five, when a guy is having sexual relations with his father's wife, his mother, Paul says, "Even the Gentiles, you know, that don't do such things. That, that, that's just terrible." Although the Gentile world, as we looked at last week, allowed a lot of lasciviousness, the Greco-Roman culture was filled with uh, sexual perversion and sin. So, and that's the background. Uh, we went. I quoted historians like Toynbee and others, scholars of history. Uh, that point out that there was just rampant sin and just dis- disgusting sexual acts between so many different people, a lot like today. And so, with that background, without going into all of that again, Paul says to treat the younger women as sisters in all purity. Amen? In all purity. And it's interesting because we went through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 a few of the verses. And I commented on a couple of the verses. We didn't spend a long time there. We won't spend a long time there again either, but I want to go there again, back up a book, a couple books, to first Thessalonians chapter 4, but I want to point out something I didn't point out last time because I had wanted to hop around last time, as we will this evening as well. Finally, brethren, finally then, brethren, this is chapter 4 verse 1 of First Thessalonians, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Do you seek God and and pray to please God? You want to make sure you have a relationship with the Lord, that you don't just have a relationship with with the Bible, but the Bible is to point you to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, if, if you have some love letters from your wife you marry her, but you never talk to your wife and never communicate with her, but you just look at the letters. Not much of relationship, amen? You can't have a relationship with the Lord unless you call out to him. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it should really matter to us that we please him. It's important to have, yeah, be, to be in the word. We emphasize that all the time. It's important to have relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ and pure relationships at that, amen? But you can have those types of things, but not fear and love the Lord and have a relationship with Him, and you're lost. You want to make sure you're saved. You want to make sure you know God. And I love that He mentions here where He talks about how we ought to walk and please God. Sometimes when I pray, you know, my heart gets, you know, like uh, just a, a tear. Like Lord, help me please You. I love You. Help me please You more, because He's such a He gave us life. He saved us from our sins right? Through the sacrifice of the Son of God for us. And we should, our aim should be to please Him. I love what the Father said of Jesus. This is my Son, right? My, his only Son, right? In whom I am well pleased. Amen? That way, when you sin, you realize you're not just sinning against a rule. You're sinning against God. Amen? It's very, very important. So look at verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus... For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from what? Sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress, that means to go over an established moral line that God has given us, and defraud, that means to rip off. We talked about that last time and defraud his brother. Remember I told you, if you're with a gal that's not your wife and you're with her sexually, don't say, I love you. Say, I rip you off. I defraud you, because that's what you're doing. Or sister to a brother. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Wow. For God has not called us for the purpose of what? There it is. Amen, bro. He's not called us for the purpose of impurity. Some translation as, as Israel just said, uncleanness. He's not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in what? Sanctification. And the Greek word for impurity there is akatharsia. Akatharsia. Guess what English word we get from a catharsia, or basically take the alpha, the A in our English, off of acatharsia, just catharsia. Catharsis. What's a, what's a catharsis? Something that what? Cleans, right? It's, it's something that cleans. Catharsis brings cleansing. This has the alpha in front of a, a catharsia, so it's, "Ah, Alpha, Catharsia. And what does that do? What does is, what is the alpha do? Do you remember? It what. It reverses it pretty much. Good, Jimmy. It's it's like one who is called a, a called someone. If I say that person's and I describe them as a theist, that means they believe in God, but an atheist doesn't believe in God. Agnostic means one that has no knowledge. You know, it's related to the word ignoramus. You know, and I mean that's not very flattering. <laughs> that's what we all were before we knew Jesus, though, right? We're all ignoramuses before God revealed His truth to us. Now, uh, but so the word there for impurity is akatharsia, and that means one that is not cleansed, one that is dirty, one that is filthy, okay, contaminated. And I went into the Greek word that's used in First Timothy chapter five last time, uh, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But when you get involved in sexual sin, you become dirty, you know, uh, filthy. And it needs to be repented of. And you have to realize, guys, the Bible says very clearly that we don't wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. But against the principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. So the pornographic industry, which is just unbelievably huge, and these other sinful uh, sex trafficking and you know drug cartels, there's demonic entities working behind these folks. Because it says in the same book, and I just quoted 1 Timothy or Ephesians 6.12. You know, First uh, or Ephesians chapter 2, the first couple verses says that Satan, the prince of the power of the air, is what? Working through who? The sons, the sons of disobedience. He uses human beings. And he targets you. And he'll even target you sexually. Satan will try to bring temptation to your life. Start walking with Jesus. Boom. Or, you know, you start getting seeking the Lord with your family and stuff, saying we'll try to show up through a, a guy to the woman or a woman to the guy. And these days, all kinds of ways because of homosexuality. Uh, you, God can bring the right woman to your life. And then all of a sudden, you had no woman, women attracted to you or v- v- vice versa. And all of a sudden, all these women to show up. So where did that, how did that happen? I remember a couple brothers telling me that. I can't believe I, I you know, and then boom. And I'm like, well, you need to make sure you're seeking God, man. There's a lot, of, a lot of spiritual wars out there. Satan can give you dreams. He can give you sexual dreams. You know? Uh, there's what they call incubuses and succubuses. These are male and female supposedly seductive demons. Uh, I don't believe there's female demons, so I don't believe in how people define incubuses and succubuses, but I do know this. Demonic entities are very, very real, and often, oftentimes they come sexualized in the form. They present, Satan comes as an angel of light, right? So he can present himself, and demons can present themselves as seductive women. Right? It's just that perverse. You could get dreams uh, that are sexually tempting about someone. Satan uses all these things to get you to fall, to harm the church. And he can bring dreams. Has anybody here had a dream that was just so powerful you couldn't shake it for some period of time? Whether it was a scary dream or a, uh, any kind of dream. Dreams can be very, very powerful. You have to be on your toes. You have to pray. And you have to make sure you don't get sucked in. By the enemy. So Satan is a hunter. In fact, it's interesting in the book of Proverbs, it talks about the seductress who hunts, targets the precious life. And it's interesting when it talks about targeting in Proverbs, that same word is used by the Lord when he confronts Satan and says, Have you considered my servant Job? And that word considered could be translated targeted. And he complains, well, you've put a hedge around him, so I can't get to him. Thank God for his grace, amen. amen. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, Satan sought permission to sift you like wheat. He has to get permission before he can do things to us. That's good. But God will allow us to be tempted, but not above what we're able. And Jesus says, but I prayed for you, Peter, so your faith will not fail. Praise God, Jesus didn't just make us, which, as awesome as that is, but he redeemed us, amen. But beyond redeeming us, he also is at the right hand of the Father praying for us interceding for us every day, all the time. Well, you have such an awesome Savior. We should constantly be giving him thanks and praise because it's by his grace that we go. So we're being hunted, male and female, in various ways, including uh, with sexual perversion. That's why you have to keep the, put the full armor of God in. Amen? So you would be fully clothed in the armor of light, the armor of Christ, uh, so you can withstand all the temptations and all the arrows of the evil one. Because guess what? It says that Satan shoots arrows at us so, we're supposed to take the shield of faith, Paul says, so it extinguished extinguish all the fiery angels, or all, I'm sorry, fiery arrows of the evil one. Why did the Romans use fiery arrows? Why did a lot of people? Because better than just an arrow going into something was it catching fire, amen? And that's how Satan does with us. He fires these arrows in us so it doesn't just hurt you, but he wants to consume you and destroy you. So, you have to keep the armor on. You have to take that shield of faith to put your trust in Jesus and look to him so those arrows go out. Amen? But it's interesting that the Bible describes in Proverbs the arrow of the seductress hitting the gullible man, the one who doesn't use wisdom and knowledge and his life is destroyed. In fact, go to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. And when you get there, go ahead and just pick it up at verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Lord, help us to keep your word. Help us to treasure your commands. Keep my commandments and live. Isn't that interesting? He wants us to live. Satan wants to destroy us. That's why the name of that, my message is on Sunday. My messages on these last Wednesday and then this Wednesday are about sexual purity in relation to adultery and fornication. My messages last Sunday and then this Sunday are more specific on sexual purity, but they're on pornography. Kill porn is the name of the message, part one, and then I'll do part two Sunday. Kill porn before it kills you, amen? And here we read that we're to verse 3, bind them, that's God's commands, on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend, that they may keep you from an adulteress. From the foreigner who flatters with her words. For, as the, uh, for at the window of my house I looked out through my lattice. So the, you know, Solomon is saying, hey, I saw this go down, you know. Uh, and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths, a young man lacking sense. You ever see somebody do something really dumb? We've all seen that. You ever done anything really dumb? Yeah. We've all done that. Verse 8, passing through the street near her corner, and he takes <laughs> the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening. I think, oh, it's getting a little dark. No one's seen me. Solomon's seen him, but if Solomon wasn't seeing him, who is seeing him anyway? God would still be seen if Solomon wasn't in the middle of the night and in the darkness. So, man, in the evening, then he makes his way. They couldn't just hop on a buggy, you know. They had to, It took a little time to travel. Verse 10, and behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of hearts. People are cunning. Not just women, men. Probably men far more than women in most cases, right? As they prey on uh, women. But here, women it can be that way too, obviously. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. That describes millions of women today, actually. Uh, going to the clubs, partying, trying to find a hookup, you know, through the, around the world. And men as well. She's now in the streets. Now in the squares and lurks by every corner. Sounds like prostitutes in, throughout, you know, our country, especially here in California. So she seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due uh, to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Wow. She has have some religiosity about her, you know. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not home. She's an adulteress, dressed like a harlot. He has gone on a long journey. Don't worry, my husband's gone. He has taken a bag of money with him. In other words, don't worry. He's got a lot of money to spend. He'll be gone for a while. And the full moon, he uh, at, at the full moon, he will come home. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox to the what? The slaughter, the slaughter. To the slaughter. As one in fetters or chains, to the discipline of a fool. Now, look at verse twenty-three. Until let's look at the end. Until at what? an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Isn't that interesting? This thing where he thinks he's going to have pleasure all night long until morning, she says, he doesn't realize it's going to cost him his very life. And an arrow is going to stick him in the liver because she's the huntress, you know. She's hunting him. And she's not thinking, how could I destroy this man? But Satan's thinking that through her. Satan, that's his. his, He prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to to devour. He shoots this guy in the liver because those arrows come at us. By the way, I think it's very, very interesting of all the organs that are mentioned there. The liver. Because there's a sexually transmitted disease called hepatitis B. And hepatitis B is basically it attacks your liver. And plenty of people have died from hepatitis B because it leads to liver failure and death. And it's often not always, but often it's sexually transmitted. There's different types of hepatitis, so but I'm talking about hepatitis B. And this could be really, really serious. And I thought, isn't it interesting? Because this guy perhaps, you know, we don't know exactly all that Solomon knew about it, but this could be also quite literal. Sometimes there's metaphorical language. Sometimes it's hard to tell, right? It's kind of interesting. Like when it talks about how Satan will bruise Je- Jesus' the, the seat of the woman's heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. Mm-hmm. You know, that's metaphorical because, you know, Jesus, when he, uh, you know, when he was put on the cross, right, and Satan attacked him, you know, Satan bruised his heel. But that's also literal, huh? Yeah. Because there's a physiological effect that the lowest extremity of your body Bruises when you're dead, and that the part that's touching something, and that would have been Jesus what, heal, Isn't that interesting. So uh, this could be quite literal as well. In fact, it's been literal for many many people who've got hepatitis B that struggle with it, and there are all sorts of sexually transmitted diseases, and people can overcome it, but even people that overcome it can later have liver failure, uh, down the line. So uh, we need to be very very careful, realizing that. Uh, the Bible says very clearly that there's repercussions to our, our, our sins. And uh, you can have a severe acute case of hepatitis and have liver failure and die. Go to Proverbs chapter 6. Yeah, go ahead and look at verse 30. Men... Uh, well, let me see... Look at verse 32. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking what? Sense. He would would do so destroys what? He would destroy himself who does it, right? Look at verse 33. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. Verse 34. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied through, uh, though you uh, give many gifts. It's talking about a man who finds another man with his wife, right there. Uh, many people have been killed like that, even people after there's been a divorce sometimes, like with O.J. Simpson. Wait, he was declared innocent. Uh, not in the civil trial, you know. Uh, so, but notice what happens to this guy who goes after the adulterous woman. Look at verse 33. Wound, what is, what's the first word there? Wounds and disgrace. He will find. The Hebrew word there is naga, which is, uh, by the way, wound right there. You know what that word is translated to other places often? I just started in Genesis, started looking at how this word was used. Ooh, Genesis, early on in Genesis, I think uh, around 9, 10, 11, it's used as plague. I went, The next book, Exodus, it's used in Exodus chapter 11, I think verse 1, uh, or right in those early areas of the plagues that God will bring upon Egypt, diseases and so forth, right? So this word wound could easily be translated plagues or curses. But plagues and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. Uh, The Bible warns about all kinds of things that can take place as a result of sexual sin. And it's interesting as well because uh, plague, yeah, it's Exodus 11, chapter 11, verse 1, where God delivers his people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt by bringing forth all sorts of plagues. So here again, we see the other passage, the guy gets shot in the liver, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think she took out a literal bow and shot in the liver? Of course not. No. But he well could have had hepatitis B. Like, oh, and right here, plagues, you know? know. Diseases. The word means diseases. It has different shades of meaning, but several times it refers to diseases in the Hebrew language. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. Because in Romans chapter 1, it talks about those who pursued a homosexual lifestyle that God gave them over to fornication, sexual sin, and then to homosexuality. He gave them over to a debased mind or depraved minds. And it says, Women with women, and you know, uh, men le- left a natural use of women, husband and wife, and burned in their lust for other men. Mm-hmm. Remember, I talked about how sexual uh, sin and lust can bring brain damage? Yeah. Also, in man, their affections even change. I mean, you homosexuals, a guy, I've seen it, man. I saw there were people I grew up with when I used to party before I knew Jesus that went into that lifestyle, and they were totally not acting like they were acting later. I'm just saying, I mean, with the limp wrist and the isp and the uh, just, you know, like, that's not who that guy was. And they're totally transformed by, by just a, it's a, a demonic, sexualized, sexually perverse spirit so often, you know. And it's heartbreaking But it's very interesting because the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 regarding homosexuality that God gives them over a depraved mind. And it says says they receive within themselves, and I'm quoting the New International Version now, NIV, they receive within themselves the due penalty of their perversions. So they receive penalties within their bodies. And do you know, I mean, right now they act like, oh, we've cured AIDS. They, they, don't, they don't really say that because millions of people die. You know, in 2022, I wrote down some statistics. Uh, people living with HIV, 30, 39 million people living with HIV worldwide in 2022. The mortality rate, 630,000 people died of HIV-related dis- uh, illnesses worldwide in 2022. So you're talking about millions every f- few years, you know. Die of, still die of HIV okay it 's horrific it 's heartbreaking, and it says in Romans one, it warns about these types of things, but it's not just you know homosexuality we 're talking about a man that seeks adultery, his liver's pierced, he gets diseases or plagues, wounds he 's not oh, I got I hit my elbow when I was making love to her. that was not the wound he 's talking about. And in fact it 's interesting because. When you look at these passages, it's quite alarming. Uh, and you know what I was going to go through, but I decided not to because I wanted to cover more scripture. But I was going to go through uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia and herpes and the statistics. There's just so many. I've done that before. I'm not going to do that in this study. There's just, it's at epidemic proportions. Do you realize sexually transmitted diseases are at epidemic of proportions among our young people today? And, they ha- and it has been that way for years. But you just don't hear about it because it's shameful and because Satan doesn't want us talking about it. It's just absolutely mind-boggling when you think about it. In fact, uh, STD epidemic continues to worsen. I was just looking at certain headlines. CDC says final surveillance data released by the CDC confirmed that reported cases of chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis increased between 2020 and 2021 in the United States, totally more than 2.5 million. US, uh, U.S., this is 2023. STD epidemics worsened again in 2023. Rates of STDs continue to rise in the United States. Uh, this is last year. The CDC data is showing increases year after year. In the sexual revolution, so I'm not going to give you all the stats. I'm giving you the broad picture of all the stats of each disease. But I want you to get the broad picture, guys. Remember the 1960s? That was called the sexual revolution, the hippie movement, the sexual revolution. We're free! Free! Free peace, man. You know, we're free to just be whoever We're, we're not free. That brings bondage. Before you know it, they can't even have sex without pain. It's not freedom. That's bondage. It was all a big lie. Heartbreaking lie. In fact, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is really heartbreaking when you read this passage, but it's a warning that we should all heed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 15. Well, Remember verses 9 and 10? You know these verses. I quote them quite a bit to warn my brothers and sisters, but look at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, porneo, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, uh, effeminate, nor homosexuals. Many Effeminate now, many men trying to be women. That's effeminate. Nor homosexuals, many of that. Many fornicators, many adulterers. Nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But he says, such were some of what? Some of, you. some of you. but you were washed, thank you, Jesus, by the blood of Christ. You were sanctified, praise God, set apart from those perverse practices and impurity. We haven't been called impurity, but sanctification, we read that earlier. But you were justified, we've been made right with God, amen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the spirit of our God, God's power, the Holy Spirit, enables us to walk these righteous lives after we're declared righteous because of the blood of Christ. We have these glorious promises. I mean, there's, that verse is just packed. We're justified, made right with God. We're sanctified, separated from evil unto his purposes, amen, washed by the precious blood of Christ. And it's all by the blood of Jesus and the spirit of God at work in our lives. Yet he warns them, don't be deceived to think they can go back to that old life. Because look what he says in verse 15. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? See, he talking to Christians here or non-Christians? Christians. Christians. Don't let anybody tell you the warnings of forfeiture of salvation are to non-believers. Exactly. Non-believers are not the members of Christ. Non-believers can't forfeit something they never had. Exactly. Do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself with, uh, to a prostitute is one in, uh, in one body with her? For he says, the two shall become what? One flesh. one flesh. You're taking what's a member of the body of Christ and making it one with a prostitute. That's way wicked. Verse 17. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. What are we supposed to do with regard to sexual sin and immorality? supposed to run from it, man. flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man, the sexually immoral man, sins what? Against his own body. So I'm been telling you tonight, right? You know There's a number of people, and I love you, praise God, but a number of people in probably every church that have sex trans, transmitted diseases. Some you just can't get rid of. you just got to wait your resurrection, amen. But make sure you're walking with Jesus now. make sure you've learned from it. Amen. And you've cried out to the Lord. Verse 19. Or do you not know that you are the, te- you are the temple of what? The Holy Spirit who is in you. Christian. Yep, absolutely, absolutely talk about Christians. They don't have the Holy Spirit, the non-believers, whom you have from God. And that you are not your, own. not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore what? Glorify God in your body. Man, you've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. We belong to him. We're not our own, guys. We belong to him. By creation and by redemption. And we're supposed to offer up our bodies, the Bible says, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to Him. We belong to Him. You should wake up in the morning and say, Lord, what's your will for me? Because He said, if you're going to you know, follow me, if anybody would follow me, He says, let them what? Take up His cross, deny Himself, and follow me. Amen. Deny yourself just on, at an altar call or deny yourself how often? Daily, Daily man. That's true Christianity. So if you're really a Christian, you're saying, my body belongs to Jesus. But if you're coming to church and saying, oh, I'm a Christian, but your body belongs to every prostitute that walks around and, or every man that comes around that gives you attention, are you, do you really belong to Jesus? You, I'm not saying you did it at one time. Right here it says you'd be a member of Christ and have the Holy Spirit in you, but then you can go that route. But it's very, very serious for you because look what Paul says a couple chapters later. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says in verse 27, I I wish we could go through the whole text of chapter 10, but I'm not going to take time to do that because I want to go to other passages. But Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be what? Disqualified. Disqualified. Ooh, I heard a lot of you say the Greek word. What's the Greek word? Adakamas. It's translated disqualified there. Paul's talking about the race of faith, the race of salvation. He says, I beat my body down. So after I preach to others, I will not become a Dacamas. Brothers and sisters, this is serious stuff. And I'm telling you these things because I love you. You could be forgiven, but you have to ask for forgiveness. You have to say, Lord, have mercy on me. Help me get back on this straight and narrow road. Because the context here, Paul's talking about a race. Amen? Your body belongs to God as a Christian. And by the way, sometimes I'll go from there and I'll jump to 2 Corinthians Because he says in chapter end of chapter 12, there's some among you who still have not repented of their sensual sins and all these things. And then he says a few verses later in chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. That's 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves because Christ is in you. He lives in you. Unless you are adakamas. Paul used the same word. Paul defines Adokamas, the meaning for it. So people could try to debate, oh, that word, maybe it means this, or it can mean that. Or... Well, man, I just look at the context. Yeah. I go and look at chapter 10 right after this, where Paul talks about how God wiped out all these Israelites and didn't let them go to the promised land to bring divine judgment upon them. And that could happen to us. And Paul starts with himself as an example. He says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. But then I also like to go to the broader context. Uh, You know, what's he saying to these Corinthians and how would they understand the word adakamas? Does he ever define it? Yes, he does. He says it's to be without Christ. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith Christ lives in you unless you are adakamas. Now, that doesn't mean you won't fall short in in your Christian walk at times. But there's a big difference from rolling in the mud, the pigsty, there's a big difference from falling in it and getting up and rolling in it and staying there and refusing to leave. Amen. Do you understand? Yes, sir. So if you say, but I've blown it in some way. Oh, no. Well, as long as you have confessed your sins, amen, and ask the Lord for forgiveness, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgives our sins and cleanses us from what? All unrighteousness. That's really, really good news, amen? Yes, sir. But if you're just staying in the pigsty and you refuse to repent, then you're in trouble, you know? And you can find a church where they'll tell you opposite. Oh, yeah, you can do those things. You could just lose some rewards you know, but you're deceiving yourself. In fact, it's interesting how that word adakamas is used. Go to Hebrews, and this is one I don't usually use, so I'll use something different. Hebrews chapter 5, and uh, because it's only used a handful of times in the New Testament, that word. Hebrews chapter 5, he's warning the Christians there to continue the faith, and at the end of chapter 5, he talks about how, you know, uh, he wants to go on and talk to them about the, the, the Melchizedek and his priesthood and how that was a picture of Christ and so forth, uh, but he's concerned that they won't understand it. And so he says, hey, I'm going to... He says in verse uh, 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers... I mean, these Christians he's talking to should be teachers like the author of Hebrews by now. But he says, but you have need again that someone teach you the what? Uh-huh. Elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Right? Why? Because, well, verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is what? An infant, a baby still. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And praise the Lord, that's why we're here tonight, right? We don't want to just be babies. We want to also know the word of God so we can grow and mature but some people are content to be binky, you know, Baba babies who languish in their soiled diapers and went, don't want to give up the rattle and keep getting just mess after mess after mess and keep getting dirty. And then they continue to soil their garments. And, and, and if you're a babe and you're a new Christian, yeah, it's, you're growing, you're a new believer. Just keep growing in Jesus, amen? But if you've been a Christian for several years, I always point out that if someone's 15, 20 years old, right, and they're in their diapers still with a rattle, unless they, don't have, unless they have some incompetence because they're mentally challenged or something, you know, then they, there's no culpability. But if they can be doing the same thing every other 15 to 20-year-old is doing, right, after 15, 20 years, or after 8, 10 years, but they choose to be that way, you know? I mean, somebody was just telling me about a little kid who... Uh, Grew older, and I don't know how to describe it. Just would soil himself on purpose when he's angry, and wipe it on things. I'm like, that's 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 wrong, okay? And we don't want to be like that. We need to grow up, amen. And we need to. So he's warning them that they got to go on beyond babyhood. Oh, by the way, is he talking to Christians or non-Christians here? Only Christians are babes in Christ, amen. Look what he goes on to say. Verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, meaning the the ABCs of the Christian faith, let us press on to what? Maturity. Maturity. So that, and praise God you're here tonight. Praise God you're listening tonight. Praise God those that are live streaming because you're saying, hey, I want to grow in the Lord. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. You know what repentance is? It's turning from your dead works and turning toward God, faith toward God. And he says, or of instruction about washings, you know, like baptisms and so forth, and the laying on of hands. We studied laying on of hands because we're going through 1 Timothy, how it's used to commission people on mission trips and so forth. It was used to, uh, the the apostles used the laying on of hands to to stir up gifts and impart gifts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And the resurrection of the dead. The Bible teaches there's two resurrections, the general resurrection, but also uh, before that, the resurrection of the righteous at Christ's second coming in Revelation 19 and 20. And eternal judgment, you know. doesn't mean not to talk about these things because he says in this book right here, chapter 9, verse 27, it's point a man once to die, but after this the judgment. So yeah, we teach these things, but he says don't stay, you've got to get beyond those basic things. You know what's scary for me? He's telling these babes in Christ, we've got to get beyond these basic ABCs. But you know, most Christians don't know the basic ABCs even that we're talking about right now? They haven't been to elementary school spiritually yet. You read through this list to the average Christian and say, what is he talking about here? Look at cross eyed But Paul's talking about the ABCs of the faith. Isn't that amazing? He wants to go and talk about Melchizedek. I was a picture of Christ. Yet I know a lot of people would have me just teach milk. Just milk so everybody can relate to it. <laughs> you can go anywhere for milk. Everybody's teaching the milk. Okay, A lot of people don't even teach the milk because they're just teaching Pablum because a lot of people aren't even talking about those things. I want to talk about judgment, you know, things like that, repentance. So a lot of people aren't even teaching the milk. But we want to teach the milk and the meat, amen? So he wants them to get beyond the milk. And he says, and this we will do if God permits, verse 3. Verse 4, now he gives them an object lesson of those who were perhaps only babes. Okay, maybe some were mature at one time, but they fell away from Christ. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened... Israel says Christians, because he's wanting to emphasize, because there's a debate whether he's describing Christians here or not. But as many scholars point out, that if you found this description anywhere else of, of people, everybody would say, yes, I'm not Christians. But because it warns about them falling away, a lot of people don't want to face the reality that you could fall away. But that word enlightened, now you're going to make me explain this, Israel, that's good. That word enlightened is used in chapter 10, verses 32 through 34 of Christians who, after they were that they've been persecuted, after they were enlightened because of their faith, but they rejoice because they have a home in heaven. That's only of believers. Amen. They were enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. That word tasted, well, it just means they tasted it. They didn't receive salvation. No, you guys. They, they tasted the heavenly gift it means they experienced salvation, the, the gift of salvation. They, they experienced Jesus. How do we know that? Because in Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about how, they, how Jesus tasted death for everyone. Amen. Does that mean he just kind of nibbled on it, but he didn't really die? No he, no, he experienced death. it means It's a metaphor for experience. They tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. By the way, can nonbelievers receive the Holy Spirit? No, sir. Show me where nonbelievers are, have, are filled with the Holy Spirit. You won't see it. In fact, Jesus says the, whole, the, the world, he says in John 14 through 16, cannot receive the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says the natural man doesn't even th- receive the things of the Spirit. You know, uh, And the Bible says, as many you who know, belong to him have the Holy Spirit. So, yes, definitely this is referring to believers here. By the word partakers is used in the book of Hebrews over and over again of truly receiving something. Like Hebrews 3 1 describes the Christians there as holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. And Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of those who are being disciplined by their godly parents, uh, how they are partakers of discipline. It means they were truly disciplined. These are truly receivers of the Holy Spirit. And it says, and have tasted the good word of God. In fact, the scriptures say in 1 Peter chapter 2, you know, uh, to, talks about tasting the good word of God and tasting his salvation, which is interesting. Uh, and then it says, and the power is the age to come, you know, they're experiencing uh, the, the power of heaven in their lives and, and the second coming. And by the way, it says in verse 6, and then they've what? And then have fallen away. By the way, all these are in what's called the aorist tense. Aorist is the past tense. They received, you know, the Holy Spirit. They had tasted the heavenly gift. They had you know, tasted the word of God, you know, and so forth. Uh, they were, had been enlightened. It's all in the past tense. They had these, all these great experiences in Christ and then have fallen away. That's the aorist tense too. If you have a King James there, it says, if they fall away. There's no if in the Greek. There's just one Greek word, parapensantas. And parapensantas is uh, in the aorist tense and it means to fall. And it's, and it's translated here, and then have fallen away. It's translated in the NASB with five words. And then have fallen away, para They've fallen away. Even though they had all these, they had received the Holy Spirit. They would experienced the heavenly gift and all these wonderful things. But then they've fallen away. Verse six. It's then, and then have fallen away. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they have, since they again what, crucify, crucify to themselves the Son of God, and put him to open shame they crucify interesting they crucify to themselves the son of God what does it that mean that's kind of interesting language crucify to themselves the son of God now a lot of at most commentators and I, and I understand why they're doing it because it's powerful to think of it this way but they say when you fall away you're basically like crucifying Christ again and you're like putting him on the cross and he's experiencing that pain again you're making him experience that that's not what he's saying there though it's as bad as that would be, okay? If you are grieving the Holy Spirit, of course, you're grieving the heart of Jesus, no doubt, okay? But what does it mean to crucify Christ afresh, as the King James says? Backsliding. Yeah, but, yeah, amen, it means to back, speaking of backsliding here, but what does it mean crucify him afresh? Paul says this, what it means to crucify, it means, Paul says, uses the language in Galatians chapter six, he says, I'm crucified of the world, mm-hmm. and the world's crucified to me, mm-hmm. meaning we're What? Dead to each other. So to crucify him afresh means to become dead to him again. Which, by the way, signifies what? That they had life. Okay? Amen. That is so good. The word of God. So, and then have fallen away. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucified themselves, the son of God, and put him to what? An open shame. Now, my brothers and sisters that that are, a lot of them are well-meaning, you know, we love each other. But there's a misunderstanding in this text. They'll say, well, they're probably, maybe they're, even they had all these incredible experiences. They, they never really repented in the first place. Well, that would contradict what he said here. You look at verse 6 again. And then if fallen away, it's impossible to renew, to what? Renew. To renew them, what? To again to repentance. <laughs> Meaning they had repented before. Checkmate. Again. Okay, checkmate. I'm sorry. It's just really clear when you look at it. You know, they had repented. They had received the Holy Spirit. If I show you the passage that says, these people repented, they received the Holy Spirit, right? And they they taste the heavenly gift and had all these, you'd say, oh yeah, that's Christians. Uh, In fact, uh, one, I I think it's, uh, man, I got a book called, he's a once saved, always saved guy, but I read both sides of the issues. I love to read both sides of the issues. And uh, he wrote a book called Once Saved, Always Saved. I'm trying to remember his name. R.T. Kendall. You know what he says here? He admits with this passage. He says it'd be harder to find a better description of a Christian in the New Testament than right here. I'm like, okay, now you're speaking honestly. Although he wants us to believe, though, yeah, they're definitely Christians, and they definitely fell, but his, well, how do you get out of it? How can you want to say, well, they just lose rewards. That's what he teaches. Oh, but keep reading, and then we get to the word of dakamas right here. That's what we've been leading up to. Verse 7. For ground that drinks the rain, remember the parable of the four soils? The four soils, it's only the four soils that actually... Holds fast the word of God and keeps it and bears fruit in the end, right? Mm -hmm. Well, he talks about two basic soils here. He puts all the three soils together that reject Christ in the end, and he gives us the one soil that yields fruit. Verse seven. For a ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it, and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a what? A blessing from God. Amen. That's what you want to be. You want to receive the word of God, amen? And you want to grow back to not remaining just an infant, languishing in your soul diapers, right? You want to grow. He's back to that theme. We're growing as Christians. We ought to be growing. He receives a blessing. But look at verse 8. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless, close to being burned. Or I'm sorry, close to being cursed. And it ends up being what? Burned, burned in the end. That's not just losing your rewards, by the way, brothers and sisters. In fact, that fits really well with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, where it says, If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but only a certain fiery judgment which will consume the adversaries of God. Not consume their bad works. Consume the adversaries of God. And He goes on to say, They've insulted the Spirit of grace. They trampled underfoot the blood of Christ by which they were sanctified. By the way, we can continue with the descriptions in chapter 10. They were sanctified by the blood of Christ. That's only believers again. And that's, by the way, that's how the church understood it for the first several centuries of church history, Christian history. It was only later on that, this idea that, oh, once you're saved, you're always saved no matter what. Because it tickles ear, It sounds good and it sells. But that's not Bible, you know. And by the way, where's the word adakamas here? Verse 8. But it yields thorns and thistles. It is a worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. So Paul does not want to become a dakamas, without Christ, and cursed and burned in the end. Amen? So the fear of God should keep you from adultery. The fear of God should keep you from sexual sin. Amen? Not wanting to break the heart of God, wanting to please the Lord, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, not wanting to take Christ as a member of Christ and bring him into a sexual relationship that's ungodly, And perverse because you're not married, or you're with a you're married and you're with somebody that's not your spouse. Amen. Mm -hmm. Don't do it, don't go there. Hate sin. Love the Lord. Remember, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you've been sealed under the day of redemption. That's a promise with a warning, right? Oh, we're sealed, but don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, everybody here, I've met just gotta be real. Every one of you, including myself, numerous times through our Christian walk. We've broke the heart of the Holy Spirit at times. Amen? But again, Peter warns that if after escaping the corruptions or pollutions of the world, you are again entangled therein and overcome, he warns that it would be better for you if you had never received the Holy Commandment than after having received it to turn away from the Holy Commandment delivered to you. It would be better for you not to have known, he says, the way of righteousness than having received it to turn from it. And he says, you're like the pig that goes back to its wallowing in the mud and like the dog that returns to its vomit. Now, well-meaning people say, ah, oh, the pig that returns to your wallowing in the mud, she must have never really had a change of heart in the first place and never really been cleansed of sin. No, that's destroying the imagery he uses. And I know that the imagery means to point out that the pig is a picture of being cleansed from your sins and then going back to the filth of the world because he says, if after they've escaped the corruption of the world... And because if you go to chapter 1 right before that, he describes Christians in the first few verses as those who, through epigenosis, experiential knowledge, have escaped the pollutions of the world, verse 3. And he warns them not to become short-sighted and blind and fall away to the point where they forget, it says, where Peter says they forget that they were cleansed from their past sins. Catch that? So the point in chapter 1 is don't go there. Now, I always ask, Can true, do non-believers that never knew Jesus, have they ever got to the point where they forgot they were ever saved or cleansed from their past sins? No, because they never were. Amen. So all this stuff is just so clear. It's so powerful. And it's just important to keep these warnings in mind on a practical level that, like I said, it doesn't mean you won't slip and fall in the mud. But if you make the mud your home and roll around in it, that is a... Altogether different story with an altogether different outcome. Because praise God, if you've fallen short of God's glory, which we all have at times, 1 John 2, 1 and 2, you know, these things are written that you do not sin. Don't sin. But we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. So if you do fall short, come to him. What will he do? 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And verse 8, he says that without sin is a liar. The truth isn't in him. So don't act like you're perfect. Don't have a haughty attitude. Say, by the grace of God, go I. But you want to revere the Lord and fear and love him. Because in verse 9, he goes on to say, if we confess our sins, right? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? What a beautiful Beautiful reality, beautiful, beautiful truth. So Paul beat his body down so he would not become a Dacamas, a castaway, disqualified, without Christ, burned in the end. That's all that word means. It's powerful. And I always say, man, if the Apostle Paul had the fear of God, right? You know? Whew, how much more should we? Amen. In fact, David, man, did David fall pretty bad? His sin was before him. I mean, he went after Bathsheba. You know what happens? It's kind of interesting. Go to Psalm chapter 38. Psalm 38. And I, I want you to pick it up at verse 3 with me. He's talking about, well, he's talking about being chastened by the Lord. In fact, just go to verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your wrath and chase me not in your burning anger. For your arrows have sunk deep into me and your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh. It sounds like he has some kind of STD. For there's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head. As heavy as a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds... Grow foul and fester because of my folly. I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long, for my loins are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am benumbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. Lord, all my desire, uh, my desire before you, my sign is not hidden from you. Wow it's interesting because in verse 7 in the King James, he says, for my loins are filled with loathsome disease and there is no soundness in my flesh. Verse 11, look at verse 11. It says, my loved ones, my loved ones, the gals, and my friends, or family members too perhaps, and he had more than one wife, for my loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague and my kinsmen stand afar off. Isn't it important to come to Bible study? You learn a lot, a lot of new things, you know? This isn't Sunday school stuff for the kids, but this is stuff for people that are going to get in the meat, right? And we need to be aware of this, that this is, the Bible is radical, man. It's incredibly radical. In fact, go to chapter five of Proverbs. God bless you. Right, and just hang a right. By the way, would you rather just talk about one or two verses, have me say a couple jokes and say goodnight, or are you glad we go around through search the scriptures together? Amen? Amen. Praise. I know that's you, you know. Proverbs 5.3. Proverbs 5.3. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol, or Hades. That's just amazing to me. So, what are we to do? Go now to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And when you get there, uh, now this is the same Timothy that Paul was writing to. I'm sorry, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 that Paul was writing to in 1 Timothy. But look what he says to to Timothy, who's a young man. He says, Let no one despise your youth earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Then he says in verse 22, Now flee. From youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, and love and peace. And now, this is interesting. Where do you find that? With those who what? Call on the Lord from a pure heart. I love this, guys. You know what he's saying? He's saying, flee these temptations. And that could be whether it's somebody at work, that could be if it's somebody at school, that could be somebody in the neighborhood, that could be the internet right? That could be lewd movies, right? Which are promoting wickedness, right? And, you know, sometimes you can't know what will come up. I mean, you can sometimes, but sometimes you can't. If something bad comes up, do you, like, check it out, or you, like, pfft, fast forward that, what? I or turn it off, or something, you know? You've got to get away from it, amen? You can't, you can't just... Get into these things. We have to guard our hearts, amen. Because these things ultimately will lead us to Sheol. And here he says to flee these things, amen. Flee, run. But I love that just to say flee or run from. Like Joseph with Potiphar's wife, we talked about that last time. Grabs his cloak and he fled. I love that. It's a great example of that. But we just don't flee sin. We what? We run to God, amen. We run to the Lord. We we get to get. We pursue righteousness, amen and love, and peace, and all these things in the scripture, with those who cry out with a pure heart to the Lord, with other like-minded brothers and sisters who fear and love the Lord, amen? amen. Because Satan is the roaring lion who seeks to devour us, he wants to separate us from the rest of the sheep, and whenever he, I love watching nature, you know, I love watching how the lion hunts, how the leopard hunts, how the cheetah, hunts, you know, all the different hunts and stuff, and yeah, I'm always like rooting for the animal though, it's like, not the hyenas. I don't root for the hyenas against the lions very much. They're just, you know, but, you know, so I feel sorry. I do feel sorry for the hyenas, though, sometimes. But the hyenas, man, they're like just crazy. But I do. But you know what? When I, and it gets the wildebeest, the baby wildebeest, or the even, not just the baby, just the guy that thinks, hey, I'm pretty cool. Oh, they're just all chicken. They're all kind of hanging out, but I can get away and I got, I'm tough. Before you know it, he's, a bunch of lions are just gorging on his flesh. Because Satan is like that. Don't think, oh, you know what? I'm strong. I don't need to be around my brothers and sisters. In the book of Hebrews, when it warns not to get to that point where you fall away, he says to the believers there, not to forsake the assembly of yourselves uh, together as the habit of some, but get together all the more as you see the day of Christ getting closer. And then he says, for if we go on sitting willfully, he goes into the apostate state. And then in chapter 3, verse 13, where he says, encourage one another daily while well, it's still called, they're supposed to encourage each other every day in some way. And they didn't have cell phones then. How did they do that, right? They made a point of making sure they're in each other's lives and we ought to be doing that. But you know what he says in those same verses? Before and after, see to it that none of your hearts are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and falling away from the living God. For we belong to Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confession firm until the end. Or as one translation says it, we hold fast, I think it's the Christian Standard Version or Holman's Christian Standard Version, one of those two, if we hold the beginning of the reality of our original faith to the end. So it's very, very important, you guys, that we are overcomers and that we seek the Lord and that we grow in Him and that we continue to pursue Jesus and put Him first in our lives. Amen? So it's interesting when we think of these scriptures and the other ones like it, uh, there's such a lie in this world that we live in. And the lie is that, you know, the lie is that, that these temporal things are worth it. Does anybody here think it's worth it? You know, listen to the author of Hebrews uh, in chapter 11. I'll give you Moses as an example. You can go there if you want. Chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill-treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Amen. And I love that because he was looking to the reward. He did not esteem the, the temporal pleasures of sin better than serving Christ and even suffering for Christ. Because he was looking for the bigger picture. He's looking for the reward. Don't give your life to some temporal feeling or experience. Don't cheat on your wife or say, Oh, you know, I'm turning this wife in. I'm leaving her. You know, you don't have any grounds for divorce. You leave her or your husband to go be up with this other person God will forgive me down the line, and then you just don't have grounds, and you just basically turn away from God and the covenant that you made because you have no grounds, and you and you purposely leave that person because you want someone else. And then guess what? You're in a terrible relationship because God doesn't bless that. I mean, I'm not, you know, if, I mean, if that person's there waiting for you to come back, right? And and you're like, no, I ain't coming back. You're in big trouble because the temporal experiences, this life is such a vapor. And they can't, you can't even have joy in that experience, by the way, because you can't have the, f- the, the love and the fruit and the joy of the Holy Spirit in your life through that. Amen? So you can't even have the joy that you can have in Christ, even on your toughest days with a spouse that you maybe have a hard time with at times. But you can't, you, you, you trade in like Esau, who it says was a fornicator, the, temporal, the, the eternal blessing, right, for the temporal porridge. And it's a really, really sad deal. And I just want to encourage you guys to make sure that you don't, Make that mistake, because if you do make that mistake, you know, I, it's funny because I was looking at, you know, today I was th- seeing a thing, I thought, guys, let's be, infants are very easy to trick, aren't they? You hear that little old phrase, like taking candy from a baby. Uh, and I started thinking, you know, that's, how, how dumb are so many criminals, right? And just wrote down a few things, uh, dumbest criminals, this gave like eight, I'll just give you three of the eight I read. Burglar falls asleep on the job. Can you imagine? You're ripping a place off, he just I'm gonna rest for a minute. He falls asleep and gets caught red-handed. Robber gives cashier his phone number because he wants a date. Okay. <laughs> caught. Man uses wanted poster as his Facebook profile picture. <laughs> True story, and I saw the picture up and everything. I'm like, God, these are some guys that aren't real bright to put it nicely. You know? <laughs> but you know what? How about if you knew what you're doing wasn't only really wrong? but you knew it was, you were going to get caught, and it was written about, and the surveillance was not just some man's cameras, but it was God himself watching you, and he warned you ahead of time not to go in this lifestyle, or you'll pay, and you still do it. I mean, think about how bad that would be. We'd be the dumbest criminals Because it's not just so many years in the penitentiary. It's all of eternity separated from God. Amen? Amen. Let's not be dumb criminals. Let's be wise men and women of God. Amen? Let's be faithful to the Lord. Let's be faithful to our wedding covenant. Amen? Let's seek the Lord. Flee sexual sin and run to God. Amen? And walk in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. And pray that God would help us overcome temptation. And He will enable us and empower us to walk in righteousness. Amen? Father God, we love you so much. And we pray, Father, that our love for you would abound. We pray, Father, that our love for you would grow to such an extent, Father, that we just hate the idea of sin. Father, that we'd hate the idea of grieving your spirit, of breaking your heart after all that you've done for us, that we'd hate sin, that we'd walk in righteousness, Father, but that all day long we continue Mm -hmm. to give you praise for the victory that belongs to you alone through the blood of your precious Son, Through your precious word and through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. It's by your grace that we live. Father, I pray if there's anybody here that is in rebellion to you and living in sexual sin or that's listening by uh, live stream, that you would use this to speak to their hearts and bring them to repentance now so they could be cleansed. And as the psalmist prayed, David, when he prayed, Father, that you would take away his sin. And as Isaiah 1 says that, though your sins are as scarlet, you shall be white as snow. Right now, just ask Jesus to forgive you all of your sins, no matter what you've done. We've all fallen short. God, have mercy on us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Strengthen us with your spirit, Father. Cleanse us that we may be clean before your throne. And Father, we pray that you would renew a right spirit within us, creating us a clean heart. To help us to follow you with sincerity and treat our brothers and sisters as our own brothers and sisters as they are in Christ Jesus. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.